Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Atmosphere Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Jackie Andres Martinez. Jackie is the founder of Circulo Existencial, which offers masters as well as postgraduate programs from various perspectives within the broader existential psychotherapy orientation and is located in Mexico City. Jackie has written five books and is currently working on his sixth one. Jackie's lectured all over Latin America and continues to expand his unique brand of existential therapy to other parts of the world. In this episode, Jackie explains his brand of existential therapy, the meaning of phenomenology, and how it serves as a bedrock of his approach. Jackie also explores his relentless desire to learn, his initial disillusionment with studying college psychology, a life-changing reading of Herb Yalom, and how Yalom himself inspired him to start what eventually became Circulo Existencial. We also discovered that we have very similar taste in music, so we geeked out talking about some of our favorite records. Jackie is a wonderful storyteller, and I hope you all enjoy this episode. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Jackie Martinez Robles. All right, here we are with Jackie Martinez. Welcome to the Atmosphere Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Jackie. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, William. I'm very happy to be with you here. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you. Um, I was hoping that we can get into some uh, initial, like a conversation about what the hell is existential therapy? <laughs> Maybe you could help us all understand what is existential therapy and what is your version? It's the one million question, you know, it's a very tough question, actually. I know. Everybody tells me the same thing. That's why I keep asking. Them, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I, I like to say that when you try to answer this question, you can have three different options because there, there are three different ways to define or to try to explain what is existential therapy. The first one is uh, for some people, existential therapy is like a big umbrella of different kinds of therapies. Like for instance, uh, gestalt therapy, logotherapy, and the Rogers approach, and uh, different approaches to therapy who are based or who have some inspiration in existential philosophy or phenomenology. So for some people, existential therapy is a full range or of different uh, approaches, different therapies. But even that it's obviously it's a valid way of thinking is not the way I used to think when I think in existential therapy. The second one, the second option is uh, the therapy who focus on existential topics or existential themes. For instance, the therapy that it's focused on the topic of death or freedom or loneliness and those, those kind of topics. So, so that would be like the Irv Yalom exactly, exactly. approach, right? Yeah, right. In, in this way, you know, there you can be an existential psychoanalyst or existential gestalt therapist, or uh, logotherapy with existential orientation, 
or even CBT with existential orientation and different kinds of therapies. For some people, and in some degree for every Yalom also, uh, what makes you an existential therapist is your uh, openness to focus the existential topics. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if you have uh, uh, what kind of training do you have. You can, could have a psychoanalyst training or humanistic training or CBT training. But the important issue here, the important thing, is that you can focus on existential topics. This second way is neither my way of explain or to try to say what is existential therapy. For me, existential therapy, it's a way of approach, uh, a way of thinking, a worldview, actually, you know, a worldview, an attitude, and a methodology of approaching the therapy world, what, what I would like to call the therapy world or the therapeutic relationship. But uh, uh, for me, the existential aspect of the existential therapy, it has to be with the process, with the kind of conversation that we can have independently of the, of the issues or the themes or the topics. We can speak about, uh, you know, the, about the last series that we saw on Netflix, and it's, we can talk about that in a very existential way, or we can talk about death in a very mechanical way, very cold way. So for me, what is existential is the way we talk with the other about whatever we, we want to talk. Aha. Uh -huh. So because a lot of folks will make the assumption that it is the second one that you brought up, that it is about the themes. If we're talking about isolation versus company or exactly. death versus life and thriving. But for you, it's more how we enter the space with the person. Exactly. exactly. And then the theme could be anything. Exactly. So it's more like how you position yourself as the two people. Exactly. exactly. You okay. know, the, the, this the second way of thinking. It's very common in the... Um, the common people, you know, if a, a couple of people are in a restaurant talking about whatever, and suddenly their conversation turns into is, is to speak about death, they can say, "Oh, our our conversation now is very existential," you know. Right. But, yes. But for me, that that's not the way we I, we think, or I I would like to think. You know, for me, what makes the conversation existential is not the topic; it's the way we talk about it. Aha. Uh Aha. -huh. Uh -huh. So it's not the, the cliche because often what you hear is, you know, oh, you know, it's the, for the people that listen to Bauhaus and the cure and we talk about depressing things and, but it's, 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 this is something, well, I'll, I don't want to make an assumption here. Would you say that this is a type of approach that could fit anyone? What do you mean? Or, yeah, like any type of concern that a client or a patient would bring in, yeah. do you feel like your version of the therapy of the existential approach is a valid approach or is it not a good yeah. format for some people? Okay, it's a very good question. Thank you for that. Uh, for me, 
existential approach, existential way of thinking can be, uh, um, can help any people in any circumstances with any kind of topic. Because what we're trying to do is to go deep in the understanding, go deep in the, yes, in the comprehension, the understanding of what this means for me, what this experience told or tell us, what, what is here in this experience for me, for you, for us. In this way, we can talk about anything. We can talk about the clouds and the sky, or we can talk about the last movie I saw last week or, or whatever, or we can talk about death. But if we talk about this in a very, uh, in a way that we are looking for a, a better and deeper understanding, we can do it in a more existential way of speaking. So it's not so much the what you talk about it's the how you talk about it exactly yeah exactly your 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 version yes exactly right? exactly and and you you brought up a magic word that often comes up in conversations about existential therapy and philosophy which is phenomenology yeah mm -hmm. T tell us what you mean by that what is phenomenology yeah it's uh, another uh, million dollar question. <laughs> I know, I'm giving you all the very easy to answer questions. Yes. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, phenomenology for me is also, uh, you can divide it in three aspects. The first one is the worldview. The second aspect is the attitude. And the third aspect is the methodology. Very often when people... Um, try to learn something about phenomenology, they just take the methodology. But actually, the attitude and even the worldview are more important than the methodology. You know, the method, it's important only in the way you have the attitude. You can uh, carry on the attitude on yourself and you understand at least a little bit the worldview. So, what is the worldview of phenomenology? For me, you know, it's very, uh, it's a whole concept. It's very, it's a big, it's a huge concept. But what we, we can say in summary is uh, it's a perspective that thinks first the experience, we need to start from experience. We need to start our conversation, our thinking from experience. First, second, every experience is a conversation with the world. Any kind of experience is a conversation with others, with things, with concepts, or even with ourselves. But any experience is a kind of conversation, it's a kind of relationship. So we are made of relations, of relationships. We are made of a net, of a web of relationships. So if we try to understand experience, we need to focus not just in the experience in isolation from others or from the world or from other experiences. The best way to understand an experience is always 
trying to accept or to view the whole picture. You know, this is the second a uh, second aspect, and the third aspect of the worldview is that everything is in process, everything is in motion. And when we try to understand something, it's like we take a picture, but the reality is a video, not a picture, you know? So we, we need to understand that even that when we try to understand something, we take a picture of that, the reality is still in motion, it's still moving. So and morphing and changing exactly. in a constant kind of way. Exactly. Yeah. Everything is changing all the time. I think these three aspects are, are the main aspects, not the, not, not the only ones, but maybe the main aspects on phenomenology that we are always starting from the experience, taking the experience as a net or web of relationships and always a process, always in motion, always changing. Mm -hmm. This is the worldview. What kind of attitude you can have if you think in this way? What kind of attitude to the world, towards the world? Mm -hmm. Well, the main attitude is what we can call the unknowing or the unknown attitude. Mm -hmm. It's an attitude that we cannot have any certainties. We need to approach reality from a more um, doubt point of view, from, a, from a, the uh, not certain position, a more open position, you know? Like, I cannot be sure almost of anything. Then I need to remain open to different meanings, to different possibilities. And even that maybe, there is a possibility that I don't know now, but if I could know this possibility, maybe my point of view could change radically. Mm -hmm. There's something that I don't know now, but if I know that, if I knew that, I could change my point of view radically. This is the phenomenological attitude, you know, the unknown. To keep an openness to the unknown, exactly. an openness to perhaps more possibilities, yes. less rigid. Yes, exactly. Because everything is changing because we are a web of relationships. So that's why we cannot be so, uh, we cannot close knowledge. Knowledge must be always open to new possibilities. I like that. Beautiful. Yes. And this is the phenomenological attitude, you know? So if you have, you carry on this attitude on yourself, on your body, you know, in your whole self, you have this attitude when you talk with another person. So you can realize that what you can do with the other is help him or her to describe in uh, more and more and more his or her experience in order to try to clarify how they build those meanings instead of others. And uh, how does it feel to have these experiences? And how kind of thoughts he or she built 
with this experience and asking always to describe more and more and to remain open to different possibilities and always in a position that we used to call the epoge, you know, the, the classic uh, way to describe the phenomenological method mm -hmm. with the epoge or epoche. I, I think I, 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 in English we say epoche, right? I'm not sure. Well, in Spanish we used to say epoge, but in different languages, it, some people say it in different way. Epoge, epoche, epoche, epoche. Well, no matter. I'm not sure. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, the epoge mm -hmm, uh -huh. is the action to remain in um, without any conclusion, to remain open to different possibilities, and to avoid our natural tendency to jump into conclusions. Uh -huh. To keep it open and flowing. Exactly, exactly. And that is actually the phenomenological method, to remain open to different kinds of possibilities. So the existential training, when, you, when we try to train ourselves or others to become existential therapists, is actually a training in openness, a training in be able to remain open to different possibilities. And this could sound very easy, but it's actually very difficult. You know, it's actually very difficult. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about not only helping the client or the patient, I'm not sure what word you use for the people you work with. Some people use client, patient, I don't know what. Um, but the, to help the person you're working with to find that openness and that flow, but you're also are saying that the therapist has to have that stance as well. Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's something that we share. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Because yeah. what I'm what I'm what I'm hearing is a lot of language about deepening the understanding of the self. I am not hearing a lot of language about helping anybody change. No. Yeah. Exactly. And a lot of people come to us to change something, mm. and it doesn't sound like that's what you are offering. Is yeah. that am I? Is that true? Or You're right. What do you say? You're right. Yes. Let me tell you how I use how I like to say. I, you know, maybe fifteen or sixteen years ago, I hear a, a quote from um, Eric Fromm. Do you know Eric? Eric Fromm? Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly the quote, but marks, marks me very deeply. And it's something like, something like um, the patient doesn't come looking for a solution, looking for solving their problems or his or her problems. This is only the pretext. Mm -hmm. What they are actually looking is for a different kind of relationship. What they are actually looking for is for a different kind of relationship with the world, with other, with themselves. So we as a therapist, we don't need to offer change or solutions. When what we need to offer is a different kind of relationship. 
you know? And that quote or something like that, because I don't remember very well, you know? Uh, but that, that, th that thought marks me deeply. And I found it very, very existential oriented, of course, in the way I understand existential therapy, you know? Is for me, my task is to offer the client a space at an atmosphere, you know, like uh -huh. almost like your podcast. Almost, uh -huh. almost yes. <laughs> an atmosphere and a, a space and time where we can uh, meet each other every week, trying to go deeply in the understanding in what it's what does it what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be you? What does it mean to, to go through this kind of experience or to, to your existence? What does it mean this? How is for you? And in my experience, and you know, I recently celebrate my 25th anniversary as a therapist. I know, I saw that on the internet. Congratulations, <laughs> yes. man. That's really you, great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, in this, uh, in my 20, 25 years of experience, I just have one experience with one person that when I offered this, he told me, you know, Yaki, I prefer to go searching for someone else. You know, because for me, it's very important to say this at the beginning, you know, in the maybe the first one or the second meeting with my patient or client, I like to express this very clearly. What I can offer to you is not change, is not solutions, is not advice. What I, what I can offer you is a space, an atmosphere, a relationship where I go, I'm going to put my best to help you to go deeper in your understanding of your own self or your own life, your own existence, your experiences. Which, oh, go, sorry, go ahead. Yes, so uh, that is what I kind to offer and the people usually say, okay, yes, I want that. I usually add as some, uh, probably, it's, yes, there is a chance that if you understand deeply your existence or your experience, you can make some changes, you know? It's very, it, there's a chance of that, of course. Maybe you can find different possibilities and new possibilities for you, of course. With understanding, you can see different options. But I'm not sure about it. Maybe in five years, you understand deeply that there's no more options. That's there's, there's, this is the best way that you can live. I don't know, you know? So, but what I can offer to you is a, an atmosphere where we can try to go deep in your understanding of your life. And 99% of the people say, thank you for your honesty Yes, I want that. Let's go. Go, uh, go ahead. You know. Uh -huh, right. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is that the person ideally gains a deeper understanding of themselves, selves 
from multiple perspectives, perhaps some new perspectives, and with that deeper knowledge of themselves, they decide if something needs to change, but they might decide that the best thing to do is to change nothing. Exactly. Yes. And, and that comes from the deeper understanding of themselves through the relationship that you offer. Yes. You know, sometimes they discover that the solution is worse than the problem. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. So, so the best thing to do is to do nothing, exactly. but it's informed more deeply through the exploration yes. that you offer the people that you work with. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. And congratulations again on the 25 years. That's <laughs> Thank a, you. That's a, that's a, that's a big deal. Um, oh, I, let I, me tell you something. I, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something that, that it's, uh, goes up on, on me and my mind through our conversation. You know, I, I like to say to the people who ask me for help, patience, Yes, and because, because, you know, in Spanish, the word patient could mean also someone, someone who have patience for other, you know, right. then I Paciente. say, exactly, they say they are very patient with me because I ah. make a lot of mistakes. I very often feel very confused very often they have some fails in my understanding of their experience. So they are very patient with me. That's why I like to call them patients. You know? I never thought about that, Jackie. It actually works in English too, because yes, if, they're, so if, they're a, if they're a patient, it requires that they be patient mm -hmm. with us and with the process. Exactly. Yeah. Of, of, of deepening their understanding. Exactly. Wonderful. I, uh, I have a feeling already, even though we're early on in the conversation that we're not going to get to everything, but I feel like some things are pretty important. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I want to go back in time and then meet later, uh, with some of the questions I have regarding the Circulo Existencial and the founding of that, uh, that you founded. How did you end up becoming a therapist? And then specifically this orientation versus yeah. why aren't you a CBT guy or something? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I was in high school, uh, my I have uh, this uh, psychology psychology teacher, mm -hmm. uh -huh. and he asked uh, the group to read Viktor Frankl's *Man's Search for Meaning*. Oh yeah. You know, at that point in my life. I was thinking that I want, I would like to become a um, radio producer. You know, I, I, I would like to work in radio. So, but when I read Viktor Frankl's book, wow, for me was like, a, oh my God, what is this? You know, blew your mind, and I, yeah. yes, I say, no, I want to work in this kind of shed the rest of my life, you know, I want this for me. So I, change my um, orientation because I was looking for study uh, communication, science for communication or something like that. And I changed and I subscribed in the university to study psychology. So I go into university, study psychology. And during the university's uh, studies, maybe the 98 or 99% of my teachers 
was psychoanalyst. Ah, know? yes. The university where I, where I uh, study was very, very psychoanalytic oriented. That was so, big in Latin America overall, would yes, you say? The psychoanalytic approach? Yeah. yeah. In Argentina and in Mexico, especially. Uh, there, yeah, big yes. deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I ask my teachers, oh, but what about uh, Viktor Frankl? Because I read a book from him. And what about, you know, my teacher used to say, oh, come on. No, no, no. This is, this is garbage. You know, this is wow. hog therapy. You know, mm. hog therapy. Yeah. <laughs> they tell me, please don't study that. This is terrible. Don't lose your time. Please focus on the real thing and all, all that stuff they told me. Yeah. But I felt very, very um, bad, you know, because Victor Frank was the main reason because I want to study psychology. So when my teachers told me that, I became very depressed, actually. And I was almost at the level to quit my psychological studies and change my studies to whatever, something different. Because of how I much resistance got... you got from your professors about exactly. don't waste your time yeah. with this Viktor Frankl crap. Exactly, exactly. A lot oh, of resistance from them, a lot. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I was thinking to study philosophy, you know, because I don't want to become a psychologist anymore because this, I don't like that. But I have lucky because one of my professors, one of my teachers told me that, you know, Yaki, uh, in, inside of psychology, there are different branches, different uh, way of thinking, ways of thinking. And if you like our different way of thinking are different than psychoanalysis. You, this is something that you are going to look for yourself mm -hmm. because the university just can offer you psychoanalysis. If you need something different, there are some institutes in Mexico City and you can look for them. So I just start searching and visit different institutes, go out to a maybe and it's not an, exager an exaggeration. Maybe I took um, 70 or 80 different courses, small courses, of course, from, you know, from one day or two day. Sure, like little workshops. and Exactly, yeah. little workshops. Yeah. And I found uh, uh, the workshop of Gestalt, Gestalt therapy, yeah. was very, very enjoyable for me. Mm -hmm. So... I start my training in gestalt therapy after uh, try logotherapy and I don't like it. You know, in, when in the workshop I took, I don't like logotherapy. Oh, how or, interesting. Yes, and I don't like psychodrama, no. And I don't like CBT, no. And I don't like hypnosis, Ericksonian hypnosis, no. I, I, I don't but you like kept searching, Jackie. That's yes. so so tenacious. You have oh, mean, yeah. a lot of people would have said, fuck I it, I'm just going to do something else, right? <laughs> yes. No, I'm very tenacious. Yes, you're right to that. That's great. So I found Gestalt, and I think my heart felt in home when I found gestalt therapy. Yeah. So I go into the tra training, the gestalt training. 
this puts us what like 95 96 or what what, 94. what time is 94 okay 94 yes and you know it was during my last semester and university i start the first semester in gestalt in the gestalt training during my last semester semester in the university at the last six months i i do both things simultaneously so I start to feel that what I learned in the Gestalt Institute in one class is better than six months in the university. You know, it was for me like, oh my God, I really found something very important. It was such a good fit and it resonated so closely to your the essence, your exactly. jackiness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I finished my training in gestalt therapy and I start working in gestalt and the gestalt institute where I was I received my training they invited me to teach with them I accept of course and I start my teaching also I was very happy at that moment and you know a friend of mine suddenly recommended me a book he told me Yaki you need to read this book. You need to read this book. And the book he was recommending to me was Irving Yalom's Existential Psychotherapy. Oh, yeah. So I bought the book. I read it. And when I read it, I felt the same kind of feelings that I felt years before when I read Viktor Frankl. Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, very similar feelings, like, like, oh my God, what is this? Oh my God, what is this? Oh my God, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is precious, you know, this is wonderful. And my clients start to tell me that, Yaki, what happened to you? Because in the more recent sessions, you are very, very good. You are very, very sensitive. Something so you're reading me. you're you're reading existential psychotherapy already seeing clients. So yes. you're you're morphing into something as you have patients. Exactly, exactly. How fascinating. And they're noticing the changes in yes. you. Yes. They noticing and they celebrating, you know. Right. They celebrate my changing. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah, you're going to say something? Well, no, I was just thinking of what a wonderful example and what a testament to what we were saying earlier, what you were saying earlier about how we are built out of all the experiences and all the interactions and, and, and yeah. just everything you're saying is such a, a wonderful example of, of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, so uh, when I finished the book of Yalom, I say, I want more of this. I want more. So I went to the bookstore and to the library and try to find any kind of book that it's from the authorships of Yalom. Yeah. So I bought all his books and I read all Yalom books at that moment. You know, I, I'm speaking about 19, 1998, maybe 1999, more or less. 1998, yeah. 1999. When I read all Yalom's book, I, I felt uh, thirsty for more, you know, and I say, I, I want more. So I'm still looking for Rollo May's books, 
So I read uh, every Rollo Mays books. And I read each one of uh, Rollo Mays books and found, wow, for this is, this is what I want to learn. This is the way I want to think. This is the way I want to practice therapy. Yeah, this is my home. This is my home, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I want more. So I started looking and I found some books in English, there's no, there's no one in Spanish, no one in Spanish, but I found some books in English from James Bugenthal. Yes. So I bought the books and I read three books from James Bugenthal. I read uh, The Art of Psychotherapist. I've got them right next to me here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read uh, the search for the search for existential identity, mm -hmm. and the art. No, psychotherapy isn't what you know. Is it? Yeah, isn't what, isn't you, what think. you think? Yeah, and, and search think. for authenticity. Yeah. yeah, was the other early yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. And that was fascinating for me. You know that I want more. So uh, that, that's actually 1999 or, or 2000, because at that point I remember I go into the internet because I want more, searching for more. So I text in Spanish, terapia existencial psychotherapy existential, existential claro. therapy, existential yeah. psychotherapy, and nothing, nothing appears, just books, bookstores who sells books from Yalom or from uh, Rollo May, you know? Which are, but, which are not even translated into Spanish yet. Exactly. So there's no, exactly. there's no scene yet in Latin America where this yeah. idea is being postulated. No Rollo May, no Yalom, no Bugenthal. Exactly, exactly. So I tried in English, you know, I tried existential therapy, existential psychotherapy. And I remember this was in the, you know, in the this search machine or search engine, I don't know how to call it, Alta Vista. Do you remember Alta Vista before Google, before Google exists? No, I don't remember <laughs> that remember one. Maybe it wasn't here because I've been living here the whole time, so I'm not sure. No, no, yeah. no, no matter, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so uh, I remember Alta Vista give me back less less than a thousand entries less than a thousand about existential therapy you know it's weird because if you text now in in google existential oh, yeah. therapy but page after millions. page after page exactly exactly but at that moment less than a thousand you know it's 1999 and almost uh, just a few people use internet at that, at that time. Right. You know? right. So I, I don't find almost nobody. Right. But I found a page, irvingyalom.com. Uh -huh. Of course, I opened that page and in that page I found this uh, link to contact, this contact link. So I push it and it appears to send an email. So I sent an email asking for information. I want to receive training. I want to know more. I read every Yalom's book, every Rolomay's book, every James Bugenthal book that I can uh, have. So um, what can I do? And I think, I thought at that moment that maybe an answer machine will answer me or uh, any assistant or whatever. But my surprise is that I received an, uh, an answer two days after, and the answer was signed by Irving Jalom himself. <laughs> you know? No, for me, it's like, uh, 
I, I don't know, like, uh, like Roger Mick, Waters. Mick ja oh, or Roger Waters, right? Response to your email, right? Yes. <laughs> exactly, no? Gilmore or something sure, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Answer my email. It's like, what? Irving Jalom himself? <laughs> and in, in his answer, he, he told me that to this moment, I don't know this, uh, that, that you can learn this in anywhere in the world. Uh, sorry. That's all. But oh. for me, it was, wow, but Irving Jalom answered me. But he responded. So I, I write him back. And I write him back. And I, I, I ask him, um, what about you? Do you teach it? What about you? And he answers, no, I don't teach this. I actually almost retire. I, I want to, be, uh, to dedicate more to my writing. So I, I almost retired to the teaching. So uh, no, and I don't know what. So remind I, me, I, this, I, is, I, this, this is about 2000, 2001? Yes. Yeah, okay. No, before, before. It was 1999 or early 2000. Got it, okay. Yeah. And I, I asked him again, but if you don't teach this and anyone else teaches, teaches this is going to die. Come on. Yes. So, Yes, he answers, well, in the next May, you know, it's May 2000, on the, on the year, 2000 year, the next May, I'm going to, to lead a couple of workshops and a couple of uh, lectures during the evolution of psychotherapy conference. Maybe you can be interested in come. I say, of course. So I look in the internet, I... Um, Pay and I went to the psychotherapy uh, to the evolution of psychotherapy conference of the 2000. That's why I I know that it's, it must be around the end of 1999 or maybe the early 2000. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went and I met Yalom during the conference. And I met Bugenthal also, you know, oh, yeah. I have my photo with James Bugenthal and I have my photo with Irving Yalom, of course. Yes. And for me, it was a very, a wonderful experience. And at the end of the, one of the uh, workshops that Irving Yalom gave, you know, there was a workshop, not for 20 people, no, 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 no for maybe 2,000 people. No, no, yeah, those are a big deal, the evolution of psychotherapy. Yes, exactly. They still do them, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's every five years, uh -huh, actually. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes. So at the end, I make the line, I made the line to in order to uh, have my book signed, you know, by Alan. Sure. So when I was with him, I asked him for my photo, of course. Mm -hmm. And I told, I, told, I told him, hi, Irv, uh, I'm Yaki. The one who wrote you from Mexico, that you told you will say that maybe I can come here. And Irving say, Oh, you could come. Oh, great. And I don't know how, but at that moment, I asked Yalom, uh, what about if we have dinner tonight together? Nice move, Jackie. <laughs> nice move. <laughs> I am crazy, you know. I don't know how I do that, you know, but it's it's like something possess me at that moment well you're inspired this is you found your home and you're alive in it it's beautiful man uh-huh what happened and i think maybe 
Irving is the, he, he, maybe it was very, um, it's very common for him, for him to receive those kind of invitations, you know, mm -hmm. because I surprised him. I look his face like, what? No, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh -huh. So I say, well, I supposed to have dinner at some point. So what about if we have dinner together? That's mm -hmm. a great move, man. <laughs> You're going to eat sometime. You may as well eat with me. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So we can do it here at the lobby of the hotel. I can imagine you are here in this hotel. So what about if we can have dinner together here at the hotel and when you feel tired or whatever, you can go to your room. And he say, okay, meet me at the lobby at 6.30. You made it irresistible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, a lot of people thought that uh, or think that Irving Jalom is like a very unapproachable kind of person. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, it's not my experience, you know? My experience is that he's, maybe he's shy, a little bit shy, uh, but not an unapproachable person. Maybe a know? little bit of an introvert, at least in exactly. this public persona, right? Exactly, exactly. So we have a brief dinner. He spent with me maybe 20 minutes, you know? Fair, uh-huh. Yes. But uh, during the that time, during... I asked him, you know, what can I do? Because I, I'm really interested to receive a training in this way of thinking. I, I really want to know more. What can I do? And he says, well, why don't you teach all those things that you already know, that you already read? Why don't you teach to others? And for a moment, I think maybe it's uh, it's something in my English, you know, because I say, well, maybe my English it wasn't very clear, and I say, no, I don't want to teach. What I want is to learn, right. not to teach. <laughs> I want to learn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, but he answers me, uh, well, the best way to learn is to teach. And this advice, I'm going to feel. Uh, grateful for him the rest of my life you know mm. uh, this advice is very very important for me because i said to him okay i'm going to start teaching but could you help me to make the the list of topics or the order of what kind of authors i need to review with my students and, and he said yes make a, a first uh, draft and send it to me and I can make you some uh, um, comments about it. So I do it. I make a draft, I send it to him and he answer, answers me back with some comments and suggestions about what about to include this topic and what about to include these authors. And he uh, says, he told me that you need to start with a review of existential philosophy. So I start with my first program, you know, about an existential training. And we exchanged maybe four or five emails through two years from May, from 
to the 2000 to maybe September or maybe August of 2002. Mm -hmm. And in August or September of 2002, Irving Yalom says, you know, now it looks very good and good luck, go ahead. So I felt very happy and I comment, I share my happiness with my study, my students in the Gestalt Institute, you know, because I was a teacher in the Gestalt Institute. So I told my students, guess what? Irvin Jalom says, go ahead with my program. I'm so happy. I just need students. I just need students, but I'm so happy. And in the group, some people say, I want to be your student. I want to learn more about, oh. about the occupational therapy. So I started with a first group of 14 people, 14 people who want to know more in a program of a year and a half. This was a program for a year and a half. All of them were gestural therapists, all of them. So, and, but they want to learn more about existential therapy. When we have, uh, when we had uh, three months, three months, uh, 12 more people came to me and asked me, we also want to learn more about existential therapy. So I start a second group with the 12 more people. Around two more, two months later, another six people come to me, came to me and asked me, we also want, we want to know more because it looks very, it looks great what you are doing. Please, we want, we want it also. Now is the Gestalt Institute starting to get angry at you now? You're, you're emptying out all their students because <laughs> they all want yes, to do what you're doing. Very angry with me, <laughs> yes. Actually, that is one of my life problems, you know? Oh <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, but you know, they don't um, quit their Gestalt training. They do both. They just add this other thing. There's something so punk rock about what you're describing, almost like uh, rebellious. I mean, there was no previous structure, and you were just allowed to just, you know. I mean, it's you're like the Ramones of psychotherapy, man. I mean, it's just like, it's just like this rebellious <laughs> thing that you just built out of nothing. Well, thank you. It's a way. It's a good way to put it. Thank Jackie, you. Jackie Ramon. No, I like <laughs> <Ramon>. it. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, finally, I discovered I have three groups. And when I discovered that I had three groups, I decided to name the new child, you know? So I named these groups like the existential circle for existential therapy. Mm -hmm. So since that moment, that moment was uh, the early days of the 2003. Mm -hmm. That moment, we now have, actually I have the group 51, 52 and 53 nowadays. These three groups are in training, the group 51, 52, and 53. Because every six months, I open subscriptions that anyone else want to do it. Mm -hmm. And every six months, thanks, thanks God, you know, every yeah. six months, 
maybe 16, 14 people says, I want I'll it. I'll do it. So I start a new training and I start a new group, a new group, a new group, a new group. Never with a so, pause. It never stopped since 2002. Never stops. Never stops. Sometimes opening two groups at the same time, one in the morning and the, the other demand. in the afternoon. Yes. And, and it's, it, it's amazing. You know, it's, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's great. Beautiful. In some way, I feel, I feel less lonely, you know, because I have a tribe now That's with right. a lot of people who like the same kind of thinking that I like. It's beautiful. You're offering them the home that you found exactly. when you found Yalom and Rollo and all the yeah. early the early masters it's exactly. a, it, it it i mean the more i sit with this jackie the more amazing it it is um mm -hmm. i mean it's it's been all those years and you could open up textbooks now and there's a thing called the mexican school yeah and that's you that man you yeah. you did that yeah it's a i don't want to be uh, very show off, you know, but, but yes. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, th I, th I think you're a very humble guy, but it just, it, it is what it is. I mean, you, you, and I just love the way you built it out of something that was so genuine, so very organic. authentic. And you just kept going until it happened, even though yeah. you didn't quite know where it was going to lead. You just kept going and you kept searching. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I kept searching uh, through the Internet and two years later, I start the existential circle circle. Uh, I found that in Europe, there are a group of people who are teaching and training in existential therapy also that but they, they do it since 1985. But at that in the 2000 years, they don't have any web page or nothing like that. Oh, right. Yeah. So I found that in the 2004. And I start connection with them is the group from the British school, mm -hmm. you know, people like Amy Sp Van Der Spinelli, Ernesto Spinelli, yeah. and all those people. Yes. And I start to ask them to come to Mexico to teach us and to share with us the way you're thinking. And in, in this way, our training start to include more um, insights than uh, that they have, that they already have at that moment. What an inspiration, man. I mean, so wonderful what you did and, and, and that you had the, the, <laughs> the word I'm thinking of is the audacity to just ask these big names, but they said, yes, man, why not ask? Yeah. You know, it's kind of what we did last year with our conference. It's like, let's ask these big name people, see what happens. Yeah. And maybe we could uncover here today the, 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 the fact that you will be existential humanistic Northwest um, workshop speaker this year. And yeah, I, f I felt nervous asking you because you've become quite the thing on the world stage now. So as a side note here to all we're saying, thank you so much for accepting that invitation. And we are so looking forward to that, which will be happening. I'm looking forward also. In, yes, in, in, in early October, 
uh, October yeah. 7th, I believe, is the Friday. We'll be doing yeah. a three-day event exactly. with you here in Portland, Oregon. So for anybody listening that's here in town, Jackie will be here to do a workshop for Existential Humanistic Northwest. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to check in real quick with you regarding something, um, because this came up in the last uh, podcast I did with uh, uh, Joaquin Lopez, Mm -hmm. uh, where your name came up because we were talking about the humanistic part of existential yeah. humanistic and this kind of Carl Rogers idea of the human naturally striving for progress or for well-being. And I know that you don't really see that. There's a little bit of a split there between maybe our camp and you. Tell us a little bit about why you don't have the humanistic part as part of your philosophy. Yes. No, for me, is um, the, the answer is because I want to uh, rely on the phenomenological attitude. So I don't want to start from that point of view or from any other, you know? I want to start from what, how do we experience this? Uh -huh. How do we experience that? So I'm not denying that maybe, maybe there is a tendency in the humankind to self-development uh, or self -actualize, to grow. Like, yeah. Exactly. I don't want to deny that. Maybe it's true, but I don't want to start from that point of view. I prefer to start from a more open uh, way of thinking that maybe it's true, maybe it doesn't true. I don't know. Uh -huh. Maybe it isn't true. So from your perspective, what we're doing is we're making an assumption yeah. that closes the range of possibilities because we're already thinking, well, they're striving for self-actualization. And you're saying, hold it. Maybe they yeah. are, but don't make assumptions yet. Exactly, exactly. You gotcha. Know? And yes, maybe, maybe you have a lot of wisdom, you know, could be, really could be sure. that this is really wisdom. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't want to uh, believe that I can have this wisdom. I prefer to think that I don't know. It's quite humble. I prefer to think that I'm not sure, sure. about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite a humble approach and it's definitely something for us to to chew on for a bit, you know, cause you know, I'm, my main guy has been Jim Bugenthal, especially working with Bob Edelstein who studied with him, but also the ideas of Carl Rogers. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but you do make a great point. There's an assumption that we make when we do that and per perhaps mm -hmm. it could close us off a little bit. Uh, let me say something more sure. about it. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes people uh, used to, um, use uh, the physical approach to that. You know? And for instance, I can say, if I, if I have a cut in my leg, uh -huh. you know, my leg by himself, by, him, by the herself or by itself, itself yeah. yes, it, it, it heals, you know, it, it has this tendency to heal my, my leg. Yes, you know? right. So I can, I can watch it very directly so I can figure out, or I can imagine that is the same thing in at the emotional level or at the psychological level, you know. But what I would like to say is, okay, in the first in the first place, I'm not sure that the emotional life or the psychological life works 
exactly the same way as the physical body, you know? I, I'm not sure about it, you know? Yes, I can see my leg is healing itself, but I'm not sure that my feelings works in the same way. Right. I'm not sure about yeah. them. Maybe I hope so, you know, <laughs> I really hope so, right. but I'm not sure about it. But the first. psyche, the psyche is not a leg and it may exactly. not do what a leg does. Right. I gotcha. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, in, in, the, in, in the one hand and in the other hand, it's, I don't want to uh, look at me or to other through the lens of the paradigm health sickness, you mm, know? Yeah. I don't want to watch everything through this lens, through those lens, because I think this is very problematic in our culture. We have a culture that have the tendency to look everything through those lens. You're right. Then everything can become sick, you know? relationships can become sick a company can become sick right can become sick uh, everything can become sick and for me i don't understand it this is why we try to put these lenses to everything you know mm -hmm. we can look in a different way yeah wonderful and it's 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 because i do i i have held that position and it is an assumption and I sort of always looked at it from the lens of sort of more like evolutionary theory or evolutionary psychology, that if we didn't have that drive, as Carl Rogers said, kind of like the plant looking for the sun, yeah. then yeah. how would we have survived? But they are, they're assumptions. I don't have any data to catch what I'm saying with any <laughs> real science. So, so yeah, I... I, I... And I can say something else, you know, um, this, this assumption that Carl Rogers made, you know, it's an assumption that can define life, you know, because yes, you can watch it in a plant, you can watch it in my cat, in the lab, you know, yes, it's like, a, it's like a, something that you can see in every life, in anything that it's alive. In a life form of any kind, right? In a life form of any kind, exactly. But human beings... We are more than that. We can go against life. It's very, very special thing about us. We can go against life. We can make choices that go against life. So if we have this possibility, we are more than that. We are mystery, you know, but sure, more than that, more than just a life, more than just a living creature. And that's why for me, it's important to remain open to, okay, maybe I have this tendency because I'm alive. I have this tendency in my organism, mm -hmm. but I am more than, than, than an organism, you know? So I, am, I have a lot of different possibilities and I want to remain open to all of them. That's great. And that's, that's, that's a good, good thing for me to hold too. Cause I would even say what you're describing there sounds a little bit like what we maybe call like maybe self-sabotaging, you know, where we do things against our interests sometimes, perhaps even mm -hmm. something as dramatic as a suicide, 
Yep. I, I I tend to feel that even something that final and awful and drastic is an attempt to self-soothe or heal even when it's against our interests. And that's kind of where I hold that position. But it can be limiting because I bring that into the sessions and maybe that closes off possibilities. Yeah, it could be. But you know, inside of my heart, I hope you're right. You know, I hope you're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but I, I just don't want to have this assumption. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I, uh, this is the part of the podcast where I get super selfish, Jackie. What the hell is up with all the guitars behind you, man? Tell me about your music. ¿Qué onda con todo el guitarrero ahí atrás? You know, uh, I love music. I think uh, I'm uh, um, in my other life i would like to be a musician aha uh -huh. you brought up <laughs> in my next life you brought up waters and gilmore so you sound like you're a big exactly. floyd fan yeah uh-huh yeah uh i you know um yes i i'm a little bit frustrated because i would like to be more involved in the music scenario in the music arena uh -huh. you know than the than the psychotherapy I love psychotherapy. Sure. Please don't yeah. misunderstand me. Yeah. I love psychotherapy. I love my work. I love my my encounters with my patients. But once in a while, I you want to be on stage. Miss... Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. And well, at least I can have it in my wall. There you <laughs> go. I I forgot yeah. that. People won't be seeing us, so just and I'm talking about your guitars. I'm I'm yeah, I'm in yeah. a I'm in a Zoom thing with Jackie, and I could see the uh, guitars hanging on his wall. He's got about what is that like eight guitars hanging on your wall? Acoustic guitars, a couple of electrics. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Jackie, what are some of your favorite records that kind of encapsulate the existential sort of framework? I guess any of the of the ones that you described of the different existential sort of approaches. What are some records that really mean a lot to you that kind of encapsulate that? Yeah, but you, you're meaning about uh, concepts or authors or? Uh, rec what? Albums, like record, albums. records that, that have really oh, mattered, mattered music to you. Records. Yeah, yeah. Oh, music records. Okay, okay. Yeah, we're talking about music now, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, telling you, I'm just being selfish question. now. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a beautiful, beautiful question. Great. I love one album from Explosions in the Sky. I love it. That's right. You're a post-rock guy. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's so great. The Earth, the, the name of the record is The Earth is Not a Cold Death Place. Uh -huh. Look at that. Yes. The Earth is Not a Cold Death Place. That album, that record, I love it. I love it. And, you know, I used to have a, a radio show uh i i have it for just one year uh -huh. and uh internet radio you know that's so cool and in this in this program in this show i play music and then talk about the existential ideas that inspire me from that music oh from, that's great uh, yes so i play one song and after that i say 
this song remind me Camus, Albert Camus, yeah. and remind me CC4 trying to get Push this that rock damn boulder up the hill. The <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it, I play a lot this album, this record. Mm-hmm. The Earth is not a cold place. What a wonderful yeah. idea. I want that radio show to come back. <laughs> yes. We've got to make it happen. Yeah. Yes, we can make it happen. Yes. <laughs> what what, what, yeah, what else one. has mattered to you in, in the record? Um, well, uh, the, the Dark Side of the Moon, mm-hmm. uh, Pink Floyd. Yes, this is another one. Yes, that one's heavy. Moon. I mean, that's, that is probably pound for pound probably my favorite record of all time and i know it's a very popular one but just the themes the music and how the music backs up the yes. the, the theme and you know it's amazing you can listen uh, again and again and again and it always offers you something different well, and it's themes that are never going to be out of style i mean it's, yeah. it's just a, like how the hell do we make yes. sense of this thing we're calling life here yeah. Yeah. The lyrics yeah, are, yeah, are wonderful. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I agree. Any, give me, give me, and, give me one more record. And then I want to hear about all the books you've written as we sort of begin to wind down here. Cause I, that's very important too. Yeah. Thank you. I think the parenthesis album from Sigur Ross. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny yeah. how similar our taste in music is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do, yeah. do you like any heavier bands? Are you a bit of a metal or punk guy? Um, well, I like a little bit the uh, pop punk. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, because I like Angels and Airwaves. Oh, yeah. That's the after Blink-182, right? The guy. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But I like more Angels and Airwaves than Blink-182. Yeah, good. Yes. But <laughs> I, 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 yes. <laughs> and I like Green Day. Uh-huh. You know, I like Green Day yeah. also. Yeah, the guy's a hell of a writer. Uh, yeah. Yes, and in the more uh, metal arena, I, I, I like Metallica. Uh-huh. You know, yes, I like Metallica very, very much. Since the uh, Injustice for All, uh-huh. the Black Album, I like everything of Metallica. You know? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. But I like the, the the 80s metal groups. Yeah. You know, the 80s. I, I, I like uh, all the 90s, like Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. Or I like the, the 80s, not so metal, more glam rock. Yeah, the, you know? the pop metal bands, the hair bands, as they yes, call them. Uh, right. Exactly. But I like Boston from this 70s, Classic 80s. rock stuff, right? Yeah. Classic rock, yeah. exactly. I, I like also um, this group, let me... Um, well, I like Queen, but it, that is not metal. But I like Queen a lot. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. And uh, let me think. Okay. I, this group, Halloween. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I like so, Halloween. I can't believe I'm having this conversation with you about fucking Halloween. That's so great. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I bet you you're not going to have this conversation in another podcast about Halloween. I, I'm sure of that. <laughs> It's funny that you brought up Metallica and Pink Floyd because Master of Puppets from Metallica was an album that was so helpful to me. Uh, It was not Mm. high school and middle school was not a good time for me with getting bullied and this and that. And that album was so, so helpful. I've already talked about this, I think, in like two other podcasts where I'm always talking about how Master of Puppets, how helpful it was to me. 
but uh, you know, I, I I used to listen and Justice for All, yeah, again and again and again and again for maybe three months. Were you looking for the bass like, and never found it? Is that what happened? Yes, <laughs> it has no bass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's wonderful. Jackie, I, uh, I, I really do feel quite selfish talking to you about all this stuff, even though it's terribly fun. Um, yeah. Tell us about the books you've written. How many, what they're called, where could people find them? Yeah, uh, they can find it at Amazon. Actually, almost, well, three of them, is, it's possible to find it in Amazon. Okay. The other two is more difficult to find it in Amazon because I, I give it to a publisher, you know, a published house mm. who don't want to sell it at Amazon. They don't want it. Oh, I see. They don't want oh. to be involved with Amazon. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, that was actually my first two books. The first one is uh, in Spanish, yeah. Filosofía Existencial para Terapeutas y Uno que Otro Curioso. Y uno que otro curioso. I love the subtitle. That's great. <laughs> yes. uh -huh. uh, and uh, the second one is um, I have it. The second one is this one. Perspectivas en psicoterapia existencial. Una mirada retrospectiva y actual. Okay. Yes. My first two books is not. It's impossible to find it by Amazon. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. But uh, and the last three, I decided to don't give it to any published house. You know, to publish by the circle, the existential circle in Mexico is the published because your we school. have a permission. Yes. Beautiful. Because in this way, I can offer it in, at, uh, by, by Amazon. And there, two of them have the same title because it's the volume one and volume two ah. of existential therapy. Uh -huh. You know, it's, it's, it's a collection actually that I'm, I'm now writing the third volume. Oh, wonderful. It's a collection of three volumes. And the three volumes called Existential Therapy, Volume 1, Existential Therapy, Volume 2, Existential Therapy, Volume 3. And those ones, you can find it at Amazon. And actually, the first one is also in English. It's in Spanish and in English. Volume 1? Or the first the volume book? One. Oh, awesome. Okay, yes. cool. Yes. Look, I, I have it here also. Okay. Existential it's, Therapy, yes. relation, yep. Relational Theory and Practice for a Post-Cartesian World. Nice. Yes. <laughs> is that the only one that's in English or are there other titles? It's for... the only one that it's in English. Okay. Yes. My first book, the one for uh, Uno Que Otro Curioso. I... My, my first book is translated into French and into Russian. Ah, yeah, yeah. Y mira. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How great. Yes. How great. Yes. Yeah. And then um, my fifth book is a book about existential coaching from a phenomenological perspective. Oh, nice. And that's not in English. It's not in English. That no, one I'm going to have to pick up in Spanish. I'm actually just side note. I'm really interested in that one. So I'm, I'm definitely wanting to pick that yes. one up in, in Spanish will be fine. Well, those three books, the last ones, you can find it in, uh, by Amazon without any problem. Fantastic. And for those people that are here in Portland or actually any anywhere um, because of the Internet, Powell's Books, which is a very popular bookseller here in Portland, um, I've been to their website and I've put your name in and I don't know how they do it, but you could get your books through them. Oh, really? And that's Powell's.com. Uh, Powell's.com. Powell's, I yeah. I, I, could, I could send you an Powell. email with that info. Um, 
Jackie. Yeah, thank you. Uh, of yeah. course. Yeah. Jackie, as we wind down here, where could people find you on the internet if they want to look, uh, I don't know, just some of your history? Actually, the wonderful pictures that you have on your website, there's a really cool picture of you with uh, Irv Polster. And he's got a Heineken and it's just like fucking Irv, man, drinking a Heineken with Jackie. What a great photo. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. You. Yeah. So what, what is the name yes. of, what is the name of that website? If people want to visit your website, it's my name. Uh -huh. It's my name. Uh, it's uh, www.yakiandresmartinez. Yeah. Yaki is Y-A-Q-U-I. Right. Yaki Andres Martinez like in Spanish, right. no? .com, yakiandresmartinez.com. But if you are listening to this podcast, maybe the name can appears there. Absolutely. Can, uh, I will definitely, I will I'll, write it I'll put it on yeah. the show notes. Uh, I'll put links. Exactly. I'll put links to the Amazon. Uh, if that's how you want people to buy them, I could do it through Amazon. I don't know if you yeah, prefer your website. That's okay. Awesome. Yeah, it's our Powell. So they have it. It's great. Yeah, yes. yeah. Cool. Anything else you'd like to... To, to share before we we sadly say goodbye here, Jackie. No, I, I I'm really looking forward to have a beer with you in po in Portland. Heineken. <laughs> yeah, Heineken, yes. And have our own photo of that. Yes, absolutely. And you could add it to yes. the long list of wonderful legends that you have on your website. Yes, exactly. Wonderful. Exactly. Well, Jackie, yeah. thank you so so much for uh, your willingness to to have this chat. Uh, it's been really meaningful and really lovely to spend this time with you, and for you to be able to impart um, all your knowledge and wisdom to um, the English speaking world. Because I know you're quite well known in Latin America, and you are starting to make big ripples outside of Latin America too. And I'm honored that uh you could do this podcast with me in english and hopefully a lot of english speakers can be turned on to your original take on this whole existential therapy and philosophy so thank you so much jackie thank you thank you i am very grateful to you also because i enjoy a lot our conversation absolutely absolutely there'll be more to come all right jackie take good care i'll see you soon see you soon bye <laughs>